Two men, different backgrounds. One was a cop, one was a con man. They now come together as friends to discuss a variety of topics and interview fascinating guests. They're not trying to change your mind, just open it. Welcome to the Pros and Cons Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Pros and Cons Podcast. This is Steve Webster, your host, along with my buddy, business partner, and exceptional co-host, Mike Perez. Mike, are you, you out there somewhere? You want to say hello? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Is that it? Is that all I can get from you? Anything exciting happen in your life? Nothing. Okay, thanks. That was great. <laughs> Apparently, nothing great has happened in your life, but it's really great to have you here. This is actually our second episode. The first one seemed to go okay. Uh, neither one of us are in prison. We got some positive comments, and hopefully this one will be even better. Because of the caliber of people that we're going to have on this podcast, people aren't going to be able to, to deny it. They're just going to have to listen to it. And today's very, very special guest, I met him back in 2017, I believe, but we'll get to that in a minute. He is now one of the finest investigators associated with the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center. He's basically a brother from another mother. He's a cowboy who wears skinny jeans. Everybody loves him. And his name, well, we don't really have anybody here that can clap for him because it's just us. Everybody say hi to our friend, Jeff Roberts. Wow, I mean... Yeah, I mean, really don't know how to follow that up. I mean, that was a grand entrance for such a disappointing person to have on your show. That was pretty cool, uh, though, wasn't but it? But I do appreciate I do appreciate the intro, uh, and I hope you didn't oversell the guest. That's that's my fear. <laughs> well, it's my fear as well. That's okay because we're going to start with a quick story, <laughs> and and then we'll move into some more serious questions. But right now, we're going to tell people how we met. Twenty seventeen. I show up in Tyler, Texas, which is East Texas. Very nice, but it's hot like everywhere else in Texas. I went to, at the time, you worked for the Tyler Police Department, and yeah. I met you and your then supervisor and still supervisor, the real cowboy, Adam Colby, and you guys looked all professional, suits, ties. I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> I was out of my element. But we made I a think you were in a sweatshirt. I pretty much was. <laughs> but we made a command decision to meet later on that day at a local watering hole. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah. So I remember it. Yeah. So I show up and little did I know that everybody walking in the door is now wearing a cowboy hat, big belt buckles, and I'm like, Oh my god, I only saw these guys for like two minutes today. And they don't look the same. But we did finally find each other. And it just seemed like we kind of hit it off right away. Maybe it was because I was, you know, a retired cop, or maybe it was because I was buying the drinks. I don't know. But it was what, what sticks out in my mind is <laughs> I did have a credit card from the company that I used to work for. And <laughs> clearly, I wasn't afraid to use it. But that's what you do <laughs> when you're, you know, networking. So it got to the point there were like 10 people around our table. And I was closing in on, you know, a lot of money being spent. But it didn't seem like all of these people were part of our conversation. And I'm not going to lie. 
especially some of the you know larger ones, they didn't look like law enforcement. So they still I, really have that that they, same identity. They they didn't seem to fit in. So I finally said, and then it was tough for me because you know we had just met. I said, hey, by the way, guys, are all these people with you? And what was the response that I got? <laughs> oh no, hell no, our, hell no, we don't know who those club. people are. <laughs> we don't know who they are. I'm like, excuse me. So I'd basically been buying the whole damn restaurant drinks for several hours, but that's okay <laughs> because it all worked out. We moved on and it was a fun night and we've stayed in touch ever since then. And I'd like to think we've done some good things and had a lot of fun over the years. So getting yeah. back to the more serious stuff, because as you know, we are both very serious people and Mike, you feel free to jump in anytime here. Cause I'm not going to ask really tough questions, but I think that what you guys have in Texas, which is the Financial Crimes Intelligence Center, is a very unique organization of law enforcement and analysts that they go after. Well, you go after a lot of different financial crimes, correct? Not just card skimming, but a lot of different crimes. Yeah, anything with an organized crime nexus as it relates to financial crimes for the state, but really, I mean, offering our expertise to anybody, law enforcement or industry, just to create solutions. I mean, we're definitely a small enough agency that we don't have a lot of the bureaucracy that's going to prohibit speed of information flow. And that's our goal is if we have information that could solve a case or identify a suspect, we want to get it to the resources that it needs to go to as fast as possible. So basically... You guys are like the quarterback, but you're not the whole team because you work collaboratively with other agencies all over the state, depending on where the crime is, you'll go to it. Yeah, really, uh, I guess the best way to put it or the way I like to describe it, especially if I'm talking to, to officers that very often don't even know that we exist. I mean, we started in 2021 in a empty fire station like the Ghostbusters. There was three of us and we had this great idea had pitched it to legislature. It was something that formed out of our passion for financial crimes, but also seeing a need for a fusion center or a intelligence type center that really focused the resources towards the financial crimes investigators in the industry that was getting, quite frankly, just so much fraud occurring in the industry. And, and a lot of people just felt like there wasn't enough attention to it. And so that plan and that idea birthed into what is now the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center. And, and I really like to tell people we're, we're a support unit for all law enforcement across the state. We do not do it alone. We are a product of every one of the people that works with us and around us and the great investigators that'll take the leads, that'll take the intelligence that we have and that we're disseminating and then work these cases. And then we come alongside you in your investigations to make sure that the analytics, the software, the expertise, the expert witnesses, whatever needs to come to that case, we want the case to be looked at appropriately. And what I mean by that is these transnational organized crime groups that are really plaguing the United States are hitting every jurisdiction from Texas, from the East Coast to the West Coast, you name it. They're smart at what they do because they want to parse out their criminal activity. Our job is to look at it at a high level and say, hey, you know, small town Texas, this is not just a singular theft. This is an EBT fraud group that's hit five other states with 10 different people, or this is a large ATM jackpotting group or gas pump skimming. And that's what we do. We put all this information together and create products that, that solve cases and good prosecutions. And are you familiar with any other fusion centers or intel centers across the country that operate like you guys that focus simply on fraud-related cases? Because I don't. 
maybe you're the tip of the spear, but I don't know of any others. I'd like to think we're the tip of the spear. I mean, when we started this, we could not find, you know, obviously when you're wanting to start anything new, the, the best thing to do is lean on experience. In talking with other industry experts and law enforcement experts that we trusted, nobody was doing quite what we had in mind. And the uniqueness of what we do is not just law enforcement. Obviously, we're going to harbor the CJIS compliance stuff and do whatever we can with information share to protect people's identities and anything that we have to do as a, as a fusion center or, or an intel center on the law enforcement side. But the uniqueness is our integration and our partnerships with the Texas Bankers Association, the International Bankers Association of Texas, these corporations, these retail chains, and finding solutions, even in the industry, of better reporting to law enforcement, universal reporting. And even if they're not filing cases, realizing that their information is still important to us because those same criminals are going to hit another jurisdiction. And so the identities of the suspects are still important to us, whether you file a police case or not. Yeah, and Mike talked a little bit about that in our initial podcast that basically just talks about how we got to this point. And I mean, he basically traveled a lot of the country. Not only did he make the skimming devices, but he installed them all over the place and then went back and made some decent money until he got caught. So you both yeah. know that this is a very fluid crime, but it seems like any type of fraud-related crime can be transient. They can move. They can bring new people on, and they don't care who their victims are. So I think what you guys are doing is fabulous, but I have an even better question. But we're going to take a quick break first, but we'll be right back. Is your company vulnerable to fraud? If so, who better to tell you how to minimize or prevent it than someone who used to commit it? Mike Perez of Unchained Leadership and Consulting has turned his life around after paying his dues to society, and he is now giving back by speaking to others about fraud prevention. Interested? Contact us at unchained-leadership.com. Welcome back to the Pros and Cons podcast. Our special guest today, along with Mike Perez and I, is Jeff Roberts from the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center. It's based out of East Texas and Tyler, Texas. Been there several times, a very nice place, but travels quite a bit helping other agencies, and he's an all-around good guy. Getting back to the formation, if you will, or the creation of this Intel Center, I played a very, very small role in it, but what impressed me the most, and this is where I think other states can learn from Texas, Texas was, we talk about the skimming that Mike Perez did in his past. At that time, Texas was a number one. I mean, we all got to be number one or something. Texas was number one in the country for skimming related crimes. And I think that Texas is also a very friendly, a business friendly state, correct, Jeff? They oh, tried, yeah. they, We're they also tried. a very large state in it all is fairness. A, it's a really big state, yeah. Yeah, and also at the time, they were in the dark when it comes to gas station skimming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, early on in the skimming game. I mean, it took a while yeah. for just law enforcement in general, I think, is the crime. When you talk gas pump skimming specific, like you talked with Mike last episode, as it came from Florida and traveled westward yeah. across the U.S., really law enforcement had a lot of catching up to do which is as much about standardizing how we investigate these crimes and, and our passion with what started our center. So for instance, there was this one time in 2017 when a guy was, I was working with got arrested. Yet when our lawyer reached out to the department asking why they hadn't charged him yet, they responded that they had too many violent crimes to deal with. It seemed like 
they had your hands full. To them, he was just a guy with a few credit cards, a fake ID, no big deal. But what they couldn't imagine was the massive operation we had running in the background. Had they grasped the full scope of our operation, I doubt they would let him off the hook so easily. Yeah, and that's where we were in Tyler. I mean, the, the difference really was we were, when we were at Tyler Police Department, and what I always like to just to say and, and encourage people with is we were a large enough city to have a problem is in that we considered a victim city. The suspects would travel to our city to plant the skimming devices, but they did not home base in our city. So the fraud would be elsewhere. But being a big enough city to have a problem, but small enough population-wise and crime-wise that we could really focus on the issue. And that was the perfect storm of sorts that started all of this and just taking a proactive approach. People were finding skimmers. Law enforcement was finding skimming devices. They didn't know how to approach the devices. They didn't know how to actively and proactively work those cases. And that's where we got together as a team and with the Secret Service Task Force out here and the Smith County Sheriff's Department, all of the other agencies that worked with us said, hey, we've got to figure out proactive way to approach this. We can't be 30 days behind when all yep. the fraud starts pouring in and the suspects are already back in Florida. Yeah. And, and for, for a while too, it was like whenever I spoke to anybody that was involved, like that I knew that was doing the same thing, they told me, hey, we're going to go to Texas. We're getting away with murder over there, pretty much. We're going yeah. to Houston. And they're blind, you know, at the end of the day. And then I think the reason why they were going by Tyler also is because when you're looking for target cities, looking for, a, like you're saying, a big enough city so you can blend in a little bit, but also you don't look for a city that's too small. And Tyler fits the criteria. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Especially back in 2017. Yeah. Exactly. Back then, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think personally. I mean, until, until they found out that. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. What I was saying is that until they found out they're giving life sentences out there. Yeah, so. <laughs> see, that's the point I was about to get to. I think that <laughs> you have some fantastic prosecutors in Smith County that aren't afraid to learn new things, aren't afraid to prosecute criminals. And it is a little bit different in East Texas. I mean, Houston and some of these larger metropolitan areas. Yeah, they do have a lot of violent crime, but they also have some, you know, very weak and liberal prosecutors. That's just the way it is. You know, it's not just Houston. It's across the country. But because the folks in and around Tyler took a stand and said, no, not in our, not in our um, town, basically, <laughs> that drew attention to you, Jeff, and, and Adam and some others who were just really kicking it out there. And you became known nationwide as as experts on the subject matter, and you've done gone on to do great things ever since then. And now you're bringing that expertise to the entire state, as I think it should be. But one thing that needs to be said about the formation of this Intel Center, that bill passed unanimously, if I'm not mistaken, with bipartisan support. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's an amazing thing when everybody's losing money. Everybody can get behind the cause and it affects literally every part of the population. You know, when we're yeah. talking financial crimes, it's everything from the working mom who's having her card skimmed. It's the things that I think too often when we talk violent crime, uh, people forget the impact it can have on a single mother who's paycheck to paycheck and gets her card skimmed on payday Friday, which would normally mean I've got to make all these payments and oftentimes has credit card debt and other things stacked up. And then all of a sudden there's a decision to be made of am I feeding my family because suspects just came in and drained $1,400 out of my account and the credit card defaults. And now she's got the high interest rate and it's on her to fix her credit, right? 
So there is a huge impact depending on how the the activity affects you and where you're at in your lifestyle. And and that was one of the things when the bill got passed and uh, Representative Marianne Perez out of Houston, that was one of her number one complaints from her constituents down there was they kept getting their cards skimmed and they kept losing this money. And she was getting these stories from just working class Americans that were really suffering through this type of criminal activity. And and kudos to Steve. I mean, Steve's kind of downplaying it. His position where he was at in his corporation at the time, he was instrumental in bringing even the corporate aspect to, to drop these big numbers and these large dollar amounts to the legislature of, of what the impact of this was on the industry as a whole, and then all the way down to the individual level. And then you're right. We are blessed in, in Smith County, Texas, to have a team like Jacob Putman, our district attorney, and his prosecutors, who I would say are probably the most rehearsed skimming prosecutors that I've been around and and have experienced from our travels and everything else, but their willingness to take these cases to trial and their willingness to learn how to work these cases and approach it. One thing we've learned in Smith County is that juries are not favorable to these kind of suspects. Everybody can relate to having a credit card skimmed or a fraud occur on their account or a family member's account. And so having the prosecution is available to anyone that wants to actually take the cases and try them. And then the juries responded with appropriate sentences based off these lengthy criminal histories once you paint the proper picture. That's the important part. Too often we're trying to drop singular cases, and that's where the FCIC is trying to come and approach the situation as a whole and help present these cases appropriately to the district attorney's offices in the state, showing the totality of what's, what's happening in these crime schemes. To simplify it, you're not just bringing one piece of the puzzle. You are trying to bring all of the pieces of the puzzle together to paint that portrait and say, this is what it looks like. And kudos to you guys for doing it. I think you've done an amazing, amazing job. And why don't you tell me, do you know off the top of your head how much money, and and we have to remember, you don't have 800 people at the Texas Financial Crimes Intel Center, do you? You have a few. We are we are fully staffed right now with six personnel. There you go. And what have those six uh, so, personnel been able to do since its formation, which was not very long? Yeah. So really, again, it just shows what you can do when you try. And when you put the right people in the right place with the right passion to approach criminal activity. So understand our metrics look different than a lot of other things because we have so many things that we are able to calculate from proactive skimmer recovery to stop loss on the dark web as it relates to account compromises or things that we can kind of intercept before they happen on top of actual seizures, actual card recoveries and things of that nature. But since we started in October of 2021, our estimated loss prevention numbers for the state of Texas is at 131 million without counting our most recent. Well, how much? Say that again. $131 $131 million. That is a $131 million, Pat. <laughs> what yeah. is 100? And that's a, that's a lot of money. And again, that's kudos to you guys for, for not only building the relationships, working together with people and getting the word out there that, hey, we're here to help. Because coming from that law enforcement background, I know that you can have jurisdictional issues, if you will. Certain departments that's my case, blah. You don't have that ego or that attitude. You all just come in and say, hey, you want to help? We're here. 
And I think that's what has endeared you to law enforcement across the state and beyond. I mean, you guys work with people in several other states as well. So that, my friends, is how you make a difference. And I'm proud of each and every one of you. And we're going to take a quick break and come back. And I got some, I got some even simpler questions for you, but it'd be kind of quick ones, quick ones, but I'm going to make you think. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jeff Roberts from the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center and Michael Perez. If you're intrigued by what Steve and Mike have to say, please check out their website, unchained-leadership.com. They offer unique and specialized services from consulting to public speaking. That website, again, is unchained-leadership.com. Welcome back to the final segment of the Pros and Cons podcast. We've been speaking with, what do you go by? Investigator, detective, cowboy, <laughs> Man, Jeff Roberts? That's, what, what are you? That's a lot of titles. But technically, my title is Senior Investigator at the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence. Senior Investigator. Does that mean you're old or just experienced? Well, I wanted to be inspector. Just because we, you know, we were thinking of <laughs> when you're creating a center, you kind of get to pick your own title. And I've always wanted to be inspector, just because I loved Inspector Gadget growing oh, up. Yeah, or, or Inspector Cruz. I, I just, I just, yeah, I just couldn't do it. The best I came up with on the fly was senior investigator. So you just come up with it, like, is it from a list, or you just like <laughs> off the top of your head? Well, when there was three of us, it was just. Hey, man, what do you want to be called? Because we had a director, and I was the only investigator, because the joke was always, well, who's the, if you're the senior investigator and there's no other investigator, what, what's the, what's the deal here? To? It was an anticipation of growth. We'll put it that way. Okay. Well, you're, you're serving the, uh, the small team well, and <laughs> we just have a couple more simple questions for you. We try to educate people that listen to this podcast, and all four of them, I'm kidding, We've had at least six people listen to it, so don't be fooled. <laughs> if you had to give a little bit of advice, and I'll break it down into three different categories, what advice would you give law enforcement, private industry, if you will, and the actual card owners or holders? Are there little tips you can give them on how to not be a victim of skimming? Man, I wish I could wrap it all up in, in just... 10-minute piece, but I'm going to give it my best shot with what we know currently. From well, you, you've got about four minutes, so don't worry about it. You got plenty oh, good, of time. good. No pressure. <laughs> Everybody's counting on you, right? Law enforcement, you've touched on it as well, Steve. It's just have a proactive approach. I think far too often financial crimes, and in some instances with regard to the violent crime spike that we've seen and personnel staffing issues, there's a reality to what's going on with these law enforcement agencies and where they have to prioritize their resources, but get proactive on it. Find the people that love working financial crimes and encourage that. And, and for administrators out there, when you put people in what I've seen in my career 16 years now is when you put people in a place where they want to be, they thrive. And so find those guys that are excited like I got excited with financial crimes and that are willing to think outside the box and go after it. And then educate yourself or get with us at the FCIC. I mean, as much as we talk about the success in Texas, we exist to educate. So I don't know if my contact information from work will be available on the podcast, but you can find us at Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center. We're there for you. I mean, we can answer any questions you have. Get with the banks, get the relationships with the local banks. You want to start identifying fraud before it gets reported to police. You want to have that network 
in place so you're not reactive to it. Because if we just sit and wait for every case report to land on our desk, most times your financial crimes cases are going to be 30 days or more late to your desk from when they actually occurred, which is going to affect everything from video retention to witness statements to any other evidence that would have been applicable before these, as we talked about it, these suspects bounce and they travel all over the country. From the business side, that's a whole another thing. I mean, our big push this year with the industry and really for anyone listening is we've got to get rid of the mag stripes on these credit cards. And for those that don't know, the, we've implemented the chip card. Everybody's kind of familiar with the new chip card, the EMV, which just stands for Euro MasterCard Visa. But it's the chip card, uh, which is great technology. And it does work when it's fully implemented. The problem for the United States is that we still allow mag stripes to be on the same card. And for those that don't know, that harbors the exact same card data as your chip. And that's what the suspects, that's why it's called skimming. That's what they're getting. They're not actually extracting, for the most part, they're not extracting the data off of your chip. All they have to do is be able to skim that mag stripe to get your information. And as long as that mag stripe is there, it's low-hanging fruit for everybody in the industry, from financial sector, retail sector, gas sector, you name it. EBT card fraud is a huge deal. They don't even have chips yeah, on EBT cards. Yet. So, it, you know, for us that have worked this for decades and have seen it firsthand, it is mind boggling that, in my opinion, you could take about 95% of the skimming problem as we know it in the United States and eliminate it as we see it today within the first year implementation. Now, the suspects will evolve and they will adapt, but that's how much and how prevalent this crime wave is out there that they just don't have to adapt. And yeah. anytime you have the low hanging fruit, they're going to take it. I never thought that you were so eloquent. Mike, tell us, Mike, is he right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Pretty much what you're looking for when you're doing these things, when you're trying to defraud people is relying on the fallback, on the max drive fallback. So there's cards out there that you put in one time and immediately it tells the POS to, to swipe the max rate. And I mean, most of the times people don't know about this, but they think that you usually have to stick the card in three times into the card reader and then it'll give it to you. But there's cards out there that just immediately tell the POS system or the ATM to rely on the max stripe. And if you're like at a retail store, the teller won't even notice. By the time you, you swipe the card, that's it. The transaction went through already. Yeah. And the issue, Steve and, and Mike is, and we're seeing at a high level, is even when they implemented EMV for the gas pumps, which was great. And everybody got excited about that. Allowing these mag stripe or these fallback transactions, the suspects are now just using ATM style deep insert attacks on the gas pumps. Again, it's it's capturing that swipe. It has nothing to do with capturing the chip. Yeah. Uh, so so it really is the problem. I mean, if I were to single out one huge issue for the industry right now, it's the fact that mag stripes still exist as we know it in the United States because they don't have this problem in Europe. Which is probably why a lot of people are coming overseas from different countries to their their damage here in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. That that is uh it's fascinating stuff and it does amaze me that you have this level of knowledge, Jeff Roberts. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, first time I met you, I didn't think you were that damn smart. But um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I appreciate that information. Hopefully the listeners do. You sort of gave out something. Is Does the FCIC have a generic email address or... How would people reach out to you if they had a question? Yeah, of course you're going to put me on the spot. Now I'm, now I'm <laughs> supposed to know my email address, the generic email. 
I don't want to give out my singular work email, but we do have, if you go, we're funded through the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation, which is TDLR. You can find our information and ways to contact us on their website. There's links, but also just a simple Google search of the Texas Financial Crimes Intelligence Center now. Thankfully, we've been around long enough that you can actually find us with what we're doing. And that's part of our you know, our hurdle as we continue to grow and, and build out is just to get the knowledge that we exist and the, the help that we offer the industry and law enforcement. And the other thing, Steve, to do your viewers and your listeners justice for the individuals, you had asked me about the individuals yes. uh, and what they can do to protect themselves. And, and I think it's important to understand you're really from a consumer level. I wish I could tell you, you would be able to identify stuff, but quite frankly, most of the experts can't even identify certain skimmers when they're installed. So the best way to protect yourself is if almost everybody's bank now has online alerts and alerts you can set. And my suggestion is we may not be able to completely prevent a card getting skimmed, but I set all of my alerts and my personal accounts for $1. So every $1 that gets, gets spent through my bank account, I'll get an alert of where it happened, when it happened. And you know your account. So you know if you just made that transaction or not. So it allows you to quickly shut down a card or close an account off or notify your bank that some type of activities occurred. That's probably number one. The other is we still have good old cash. I know that's an ancient, <laughs> ancient thing now with all these electronic payment options, but don't be afraid to use cash. For those that have to use or want to use a card, I've seen people get creative. I've seen them just get gas cards, gas credit cards in general. That way, if that card gets skimmed, you've got protection, industry protection, because it was a credit transaction. And it didn't come out of your personal account. And same thing, gift cards or other things that you could use in lieu of using your actual card. And if you have to use your card, use your zip code or don't use PIN. That's just another way to protect your personal account in ways that the suspects can use their card. Because trust me, if they have your PIN number, they're going to try to go to town and wipe your entire account out versus when they can just use your card as a credit card. Yeah, well, the is- other thing I would like to add would be like, those Samsung Pay or Apple Pay, yes. if, if it's available, if they have it in the gas station, some gas stations you go to, they don't have it. So I just end up going inside. I know it's easier to stick your card in the card reader outside, but I'd rather take the trip to go inside and insert my card in there rather than outside. Absolutely. Tap to pay. Google yeah, and Apple pay. pay have yeah. probably the most secure uh, tap style payments that are out there as well. So it's out there. I mean, the technology's out there. There's a whole nother conversation about implementation, who's making what money off of what charges and, and what fees and, and all kinds of bureaucracies that we could get involved in. But really, I think everybody just kind of ethically has a responsibility uh, to be a part of this fight, you know, from the banking institutions to the retailers to the consumer and especially law enforcement. You know, we have to all be in the fight together with the goal of reducing this crime wave. Because I thought after doing this, this specific type of expertise for over 12 years now, I thought, man, I'm going to see it shift or I'm going to see a change. And unfortunately, I can report to you, it's as rampant as it was when I started investigating these crimes, if not more so because of the situation like Mike suggested of just as other countries implement these procedures and we're behind the curve, we're just importing our problem. Yeah. Very, very well said. But I got one last question for you, Jeff. You ready? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't know. I need a break. You don't need a break. No, just one last question. What do you think of Michael Perez? <laughs> oh, we oh, we don't need a break for that. It's fine. No, no, no. No, I think I think you hit it on the head. 
in your first I did. So I was one of the four listeners on the first podcast Sweet. episode. But more importantly, I've known Mike for many years. And I got to admit, I mean, at first, you're always skeptical. I yeah. think in law enforcement, <laughs> we've all worked CIs. We've all had people that we had best hopes for. And, and it, you know, that's one of the things about law enforcement is that you're going to see success stories and you're going to see just failures. And you can't let those things jade the way you view people and, and just other human beings. And Mike was definitely a guy that at first I was always on eggshells, but man, realizing and seeing his heart over the last few years and the way that he's really come out of this process and his genuine nature and his passion to really help us and help law enforcement and help the community around him resolve these issues with his expertise has been encouraging. I mean, it, it definitely gives you hope that it's not the end. And I think his message for other suspects that may even listen to this podcast is impactful and huge to show people that there's another way uh, that you can make it in this world without robbing and stealing and, and taking things from other people. And you can do it with a, you know, a freedom yeah, uh, and not having to watch your back. Cause I assure you, he sleeps better at night than he used to. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the first time I met Jeff, it was at the conference at, in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he was looking at me like kind of weird, like what, what's he doing here? <laughs> you know? And we were talking, we we're geeking it out and talking about stuff. And he was just kind of like, he said, I could tell that he was kind of like, on the fence, like, is this guy for real or is he just trying to like wiggle his way out? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's my own confession from the standpoint yeah, yeah. of, hey, I mean, it's it's happened it's both ways. Yeah, it's, uh, normal. it's normal. You're for me with skimming suspects. So just for some history, you are one of two skimming suspects that I know that I've that I've personally been able to witness transition out of the life and and really make something for themselves and their family, and and that's encouraging. I think yep. in law enforcement, we need those stories. God gives them to us at the right times to remind us that it's not for naught. We have to remember as police officers, you know, we're not going to see the end of every story, but we can have an impact with everyone that we come across. No, and, and it helps also when you see other people, like especially law enforcement, like the people like that you were like pretty much in my mindset before was this is the enemy, you know, like this is who, we're, this is who I'm against. And then f for you guys to embrace me, it kind of also changes my perspective a little bit and makes me like think different. I think if you guys were to give opportunities to a lot of people, like, and I, I guess like someone like you, Jeff, you do that. But I think more law enforcement out there should be doing the same thing and obviously be doubtful, not just go ahead and run with it. But sometimes you might give someone an opportunity like you guys gave me and something good might come out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a give and take. There's a level of trust there and everybody fights that, right? Yeah. But what I truly see, and, and I guess from a heart standpoint, because you always, Steve probably resonates with this. I can't tell you the thousands times I've heard people say, if, the, if that bad guy had just put all that effort into doing good, it would be so impactful. And, and that's not false. But it's true. It's true but, yeah. but people miss what they miss, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, is they miss the heart issue behind why they're doing it. Right. Yeah. So my challenge is always, well, wait a second. If my goals are to have the Lamborghini, the hot girl, the drugs, the parties, and that's what I'm living for, well, what is a an immigrant with no education coming into America? What are we going to offer them with a felony on their record? Yeah. Uh, if if it's not heart change, right? Like they see the impact, they see what they're doing, and and it really affects their heart because if I'm living for the other stuff. Then we could go into the prosecution problems and everything else. And it's like, well, 
what is my deterrent? I can go sit two days in jail and go back to making $100,000. So it really is a heart condition. And, and I have over the years gotten more of a heart for the community, these different communities that we're seeing that are just kind of plagued with this type of criminal activity and trying to come up with even in my own head, like, hey, what are other ways to approach this than just jail time or something else, but to really impact the culture that's, that surrounds so much of this criminal activity? So when I got arrested, it was like over 20 people were arrested. In my case, 99% of the people I didn't know. I was sitting in the jail cell with somebody while we were waiting for the, the bond hearing. And the guy told me straight up, he told me, look, look, I'm 47 years old. I've been doing this my whole life. This is part of my life. I go to prison, I get out, and I keep going at it. I'm 47 years old. What am I going to do with my life right now? I have no education. I don't have any way of making money, you know, like the money I want, obviously. So at the end of the day, he's like, I'm going to do my time. I'm going to get out. And I'm going to keep going at it. You know, so yep. some people, you know, that's just the way it is for them. Absolutely. That's why I always tell people, you know, it's only Jesus makes a rich man happy and a poor man rich. Yep. Yeah. And life is about opportunities. And you were given an opportunity, Mike, and you seized it. So kudos to you for doing that. And I think this has been a great conversation. And I mean, I can't thank you enough, Jeff, for joining us and educating the masses, if you will. Big hello to all of your teammates out there from the Texas Financial Crimes Intel Center. You know, the other Jeff that we love dearly and Adam, Kendra, Reacher, and all the others. Good people who are a leading example of what is possible with great leadership, community, and political support, and a motivated and knowledgeable team. You guys are literally kicking butt, and I am proud to know all of you. Also, I'd like to point out that your team has come a long way since we met at that conference in Houston. Like Out of all the different departments in law enforcement, you guys are the ones that I feel that are the best informed. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, I tell you, I cannot say enough great things about our team. In fact, that's how it happens. I mean, out of anything that we've talked about with law enforcement or corporate or anything else, it is a team atmosphere. Nobody does this alone. You know, it would be such an uphill battle. It happens because everybody comes together. And that's where we found our early success. That's where we continue to find success is just the networking and creating an atmosphere of, I don't care who does what, let's solve the problem. And nobody has, everybody can have their name on the press release at the end of the day, but nobody has to take an official ownership. We can all be in this together and it works and we're proof of it. And we're just excited to keep moving forward and see what's in store for the next year as we continue to grow. And we'll be onboarding more personnel September. So looking forward to the future. Excellent. Well, again, thank you, Jeff. Before we wrap this up, I'd like to take us a second to thank my co-host, Michael Perez, and the one and only senior investigator, Jeff Roberts from the Texas Financial Crimes Intel Center. I think this has been a very informative and educational podcast. Can't thank both of you enough. Hope the listeners enjoy it. And until the next time, we're going to sign off from the Pros and Cons podcast. Mike and I would like to thank you for joining us on the Pros and Cons podcast. We sure hope you'll join us for future episodes. If you have a specific topic you'd like us to discuss, send us an email. I can be reached at steve at unchained-leadership.com. That's steve at unchained-leadership.com. Stay safe and dream big.